Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome back to Talking Taste Buds. I'm Venetia Falconer and this is my series all about food, mental health, well-being, sustainability and everything in between. This week I'm chatting to the wonderful Dr. Anita Mitra. Anita is an NHS doctor working in obstetrics and gynaecology with experience in both clinical medicine and research. Prior to becoming a doctor, she worked in a research lab on the anti-cancer mechanisms of various phytonutrients and she has recently completed her PhD on the vaginal microbiome and the reproductive complications of treatment in cervical precancer. Anita goes by the name of the Gyne Geek on social media and it's also the title of her first book, an accessible informative guide to down there healthcare. I absolutely loved popping around to Anita's for this conversation. She has such a calm, funny, warm presence that even though I was feeling completely flustered that day, I felt so good when I left her. She's just a wonderful human being. The conversation centers around Anita's story and obviously vaginal health and microbiome, but there's also some really interesting chats about ethical period products. And please, fellas, if you're still with me, don't turn off now. This is such an important conversation for not only women, but men too. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here is the wonderful Anita Mitra on Talking Taste Buds. Anita Mitra, hello. Hello again. Welcome back to Talking Taste Buds. You are one of, I think, three people who has made a second appearance. I'm very honoured. It is such a pleasure to have you on again and thank you for being so accommodate- accommodating. I'm all kinds of a state today and you have just calmed me down with some tea and you're just like you are with everything in your life. You've got a very calming presence even when you're the busiest person in the world like you are at the moment. So thank you for being so hospitable. That was a pleasure. Let us start as we always do. What did you have for breakfast? So I had porridge today. Um, I haven't had porridge for a while, actually. I've been like really into toast lately. Mm. But yeah, I had porridge and I had it with um, a large dose of cinnamon and demerara sugar. And then I sprinkled some granola on top. I absolutely love that. I did the same thing this morning. I had kind of a birch muesli and I put granola on top because I like that sugary hit. Mm. I just wanted something crunchy. It was really good. I felt like I was going a bit like out there, but um, okay, maybe it's not that weird. (laughs) Maybe I'm not that original. Thanks. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Let us talk. Let's wind back the clocks a little bit because I'd love to hear about what life was like for you growing up and the kinds of foods that you ate and kind of about strong memories of food that you had. Yeah, so I, um, well, I have always loved food. Um, My sister, not so much, though, actually. So my sister is really, really super slim. And when we were younger, my sister would, like, never want to eat anything. And I remember lots of people thinking that my mum starved her. And one of the only things that she would eat would be Yorkshire puddings. So my mum just used to make Yorkshire puddings at every opportunity. From scratch. Yeah, my mum's, like, amazing at Yorkshire puddings. Um, And actually, yeah, I think I'm pretty good at Yorkshire's too. Um, It's a little hidden skill there. Um, No, but so um, my mum's English and my dad's Indian. Um, And so we always had um, quite a lot of Indian food growing up. And actually, both my parents parents are really good at cooking um so my dad um is a doctor my mum's a nurse and so back in the day when you were a doctor you used to live in the hospital and live in the hospital accommodation and so my mum learned to cook Indian food from all the Indian housewives and so she's really really good so she will literally like cook chapatis from scratch every night um which is amazing Uh, but my dad can cook as well which is a bit unusual for um Indian men of that generation so my dad's like 73 um so yeah he's actually quite a good cook too but he's like a proper surgeon in the kitchen and um he expects the um the sous chef so the nurse <laughs> to come and prepare everything um so he has to have the the garlic and the ginger and the onions 
prepared for him and then he'll come in and like do the job it's quite funny um yeah so my parents are always really into cooking so I was always quite intrigued and always wanted to see what was going on in the kitchen I particularly enjoyed mixing things um like making like spice pastes and all those kind of things um a lot of fond memories of licking the um the blades from the the whisk yeah I think we've all been there mm. Venetia's nodding right now <laughs> um <laughs> And yeah, then I remember sort of like being pretty okay at cooking. And then when I went to uni, I was like, oh, lots of people really can't cook. And I just found that really interesting because I don't know, it was just, that was normal for me. That was what did. And and so obviously my parents worked really long hours, but they always would make sure that they'd got something like a stew or something um, in the fridge that we could reheat and stuff and uh, always made sure we had um, lots of really nice cooked stuff. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like my relationship with growing up with food. Um, but then when I was on my own, <laughs> um, is this when you were, were you studying? Yeah. So I remember kind of like not really being that like, I don't know. I was never, I didn't really think about what I was eating so much. I just wanted to kind of enjoy it. Um, and then I remember, in my so in my final year of my first degree so I did a science degree first before I went to medical school and At what age did you know you wanted to go into medicine oh since I was about three <gasps> I love it <laughs> I always had like a doctor's kit and like uh, yeah just always was obsessed with it and I, I didn't I never ever wanted to do anything else but I didn't get into medical school the first time so I went to do a science degree uh really didn't think it was anything I'd ever be interested in but that's where I really got interested in kind of like research and um, all the kind of like evidence-based stuff that I talk about these days that's really been shaped by that experience and I yeah at the time I was like oh my god I haven't gone to medical school this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me but actually it's probably one of the best things. In my final year I worked in a research lab where we looked at the mechanisms of how different compounds in food have anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory mechanisms. Um, So super interesting. So I worked on certain chemicals, so um, curcumin, which is the thing in turmeric, um, and then a chemical that's in green plants called indole-3-carbonyl, and then something called resveratrol, which is in red grape skins and chocolate. And it's just super interesting because all of these chemicals, okay, you know, we were looking at them in cell dishes. This is just, you know, completely like cell-based work using these chemicals, obviously much higher doses than you're ever going to get into your body. Um, But... It was amazing because there are these like really amazing chemical mechanisms of how they can work. And it just kind of reinforces why we need to actually eat healthily and what, you know, good food can do for our body that's positive. And I mean, I'm absolutely not saying, you know, like rub yourself in turmeric and you're going to cure cancer or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm about. But I think it just reinforces that there is a science to why our um, healthy diet is so important. So then I was like, wow, food's actually, you know, this is amazing that that food actually can um, really play a role in your health. Um, So then I went to medical school and um, kind of got really into like sport and exercise um, through one of my really good friends, um, Jenny. She kind of like got me into like going circuit training and swimming and she got me into spinning. It was really cool. Uh, Then when I finished uni, um, I started using social media. Right. And that's when the waters got a bit muddy. That's when I started like really, really, maybe at a point becoming obsessed with food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I was kind of like doing loads of exercise and I got into like um, Sean T, you know, insanity workouts and stuff like oh that. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm obsessed with that man. He's so cool. Um, but yeah, so I started to, um, doing all those kind of things and then. Yeah, like people were starting to kind of like have these really confusing conversations on social media about food and, you know, the whole like um, everyone needs to stop eating gluten thing was happening and like just lots of like food fads. Um, The height of clean eating, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, So then I started becoming really obsessed with food and I would be like tracking everything on my fitness pal and then I would, um, you know, I was like super, super stressed at this point and you know at work some days you just not eat literally I would like eat my lunch in the car on the way home um and I was just yeah working really hard I loved I loved my job but I was really stressed and I started to get really bad heartburn 
Mm. And I went to the GP and, and I was like, look, I've got this really bad heartburn. I need something for it. And she asked me a few questions and she was like, um, you know, what's your life like? And I was telling all about work. And then she's like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's like so busy, but I love it. And like, I eat my lunch in the car. And she's like, yeah, do you think there might be kind of like a, a reason for why you've suddenly got a heartburn? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me, actually. I um, love how it, how that stuff even sucked in medical professionals like you. Yeah, it happens. It totally happens. But it's all about insight, isn't it? Because I just haven't thought about it. And I was just so busy and like, you know, being obsessed with making sure I was having my sweet potato instead of my normal potato, because that's what the social media feeds were telling me. Um, and then I went through a phase of like, you know, bro food, like only eating like chicken broccoli, and chicken and brown rice only. Um, yeah, then I... What was, sorry to clarify what was the heartburn oh it was just basically because I was like super stressed right and it, it, you know I wasn't eating regularly and yeah just like a combination of all these kind of features we see lots of people who can get heartburn when they're going through a really stressful time um and it's also why some people can get sort of like IBS type things and some days I'd be like oh my god look I'm getting that like ab line and then other days I'd be like oh my god I look pregnant like what's going on like why am I bloated because I've stopped eating gluten and all this kind of thing and like it was just all very confusing and then um I moved to London and I was packing up my um, house and I was like, oh, oh, there's a box of tampons there. I haven't used you for a while. Um, And I realised that I stopped having periods. For how long? Well, I don't know because... You weren't using (laughs) just too busy. Um, You weren't using that. Is it the Moody app? Is the Moody app? Oh, that did not exist then. (laughs) Um, the, um, yeah, so Moody's a really great, um, hormone tracking app that we can talk about, but no, that did not exist at that point. Um, so yeah, I, I just like lost, had lost any insight. And so then I was like, okay, well, whatever, moving to London, let's go to London. And then I kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure it's been about two years now. Wow. So I decided I need to do something about it. So at this point, I was pretty ripped, actually. And everyone was like, wow, you look amazing. Like, you go to the gym all the time. And I was, like, hit training, like, five times a week. And then, like, I had to do, like, some kind of, like, you know, hyperactive yoga on my days off. Because, you know, it was, I was really obsessed. No, no rest days. (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) I always, you know, I was always really good. I was, like, prepping my lunch. And everyone was always like looking at my lunchbox at work and they're like oh what have you got there and so it kind of like spurs you on like with this like kind of like cycle of obsession was what it was um and then I yeah I just kind of suddenly one day was like "Mm, I probably need to do something about this so I went to the GP and the GP was like she looked one look at me I was wearing a vest because it was summer and she was like "Mm, what exercise do you do and I just started weightlifting and, and she was like well that's it that's why you're not having periods. It's because you're weightlifting. Weightlifting's for boys, not for girls. Uh, oh my gosh. I know. And I was like, oh. Not what you say in 2019. <laughs> it's an interesting concept. Um, and I think that was, you know, it was a while ago. It was, you know, women weren't really weightlifting then. Um, but I was like, mm, okay, that's not going to happen. But I don't know. It took a lot of quite interesting conversations with really interesting people. Um, and I think one of them was um, Jocelyn thompson Rule, who's a real badass. She is a um, Nike master trainer oh. and she's just an incredible woman. And she literally just said to me one day, she's just like, you, you need to sort your shit out. Like you need to chill out because look at like what you're doing to yourself. Uh, you're like, you're a mess. Wow. And she was definitely one of the, the pivotal people in the whole switch. But just kind of, yeah, lots of interesting conversations with really insightful people who kind of just made me realise that I'd lost sight of um, what I was doing to myself. Because this was basically my body saying, like, this is too much, Anita, you need to stop. And I, obviously at the time, you know, I was sleeping like five hours a night, if that. And I'd wake up and I was like clenching my jaw. And I mean, I wasn't... Un, I, you, you, if you looked at what I ate in the day I wasn't under eating for sort of someone of my um, size but I was training so much and that's the thing and I think that's what a lot of people don't realise because I see lots of people and I get lots of girls messaging me on social media who have 
this kind of like stress-induced amenorrhea. So it's basically like where your body basically decides, I haven't got the energy for this. So if you're like over-exercising, under-eating, not sleeping, super stressed, your phone's pinging all the time, you've got loads of deadlines, um, you know, all the kind of things that we do with our modern lives, your body will eventually, you know, those those things will affect your hormones and will stop, you know, you will stop having periods because your body knows that it needs a certain amount of energy to sustain a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so that's essentially why it happens. So it's self-protection, really. Exactly. Uh, and so that's that's why it happens. And, and I think it's just having that insight that, you know, we're actually not meant to live this, like, 2019, like, on, on, on lifestyle that lots of us do yeah Uh, and so I think a lot of people get quite frustrated about it because a lot of people a lot of professionals will say you just need to stop exercising or you need to put on weight I mean I wasn't underweight actually when this was happening to me um I mean I was stacked (laughs) no I mean I'm I'm joking but I mean I I was like reasonably muscly so probably that was contributing to why I wasn't underweight but I didn't have a really super low body fat percentage or anything like that um so again you because a lot of people ask me like what are the markers like what kind of numbers am I looking for you can't look at numbers you have to look at what's actually going on and if you're not having a period that's that's the marker that you need essentially um so yeah it's just kind of like all about having that insight and just kind of like and now I think I'm very much at peace with everything and you know we all want to I'm I'm gonna be honest we all want to look good don't we we want to look we want to look healthy that's that's my main thing now these days I'm not looking to have like the biggest guns I just want to look healthy because I want my patients to look at me and think okay she's a doctor she's healthy I want to listen to what she's got to say it's really refreshing to hear you say that because I think as much as you know we'd all like to just kind of revert to that intuitive eating method that we were familiar with when we were younger it's so hard to escape our the way we want to look aesthetically you know we all want to look a certain way and I think that shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of that's okay but how did you feel kind of letting go of the amount of exercise that you were doing because that forms a big part of structure and routine for someone's life yeah absolutely so I mean and stress relief probably yeah definitely I I I mean my personality is very much I mean I always joke about past lives I mean I'm pretty sure I've had quite a few um so apart from being an Egyptian and a Viking I really think that I used to be like a major in the army um because I really I really thrive on structure I like my kind of like military regime and a lot of people look at me and they're like I don't know how you can live your life like that but I I like that and that makes me feel relaxed in a way to know that I've got that structure um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a control thing. And I think a lot of doctors have like a bit of a kind of control issue because we are always trying to keep things under control mm-hmm. at work and you do kind of need that personality. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was really hard. And I don't think, it all kind of came slowly. It was like one by one by one. I kind of like changed my um, exercise sort of like style so yeah as I said I started weightlifting and I I have to really say a big thank you to my coach Adam Willis so he's been amazing and he really kind of like helped me over a number of years just kind of like conversations that we had and we talked a lot about like how you compare yourself to other people and um, you know why is that actually your goal kind of like looking at like why you do that and also thinking of like are you making realistic comparisons and well do you even need to compare yourself to other people is a massive question but you know if you're somebody who you know has three kids and a full-time job and you know you 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 can never compare yourself to somebody who's like 20 years old and doesn't really have any big commitments like that and is able to go to the gym a gazillion times a week it's all about those kind of comparisons but also just really remembering that like most people on social media are not as they appear Mm-mm, no way and I think that I, I kind of had a really interesting insight into that like going to a lot of kind of like boutique gyms in London and going to kind of like fitness events with big brands like Nike um just kind of meeting people um in the flesh and seeing that okay maybe they're not actually as chiseled as they are in the Instagram profiles obviously now you are very overqualified gynecologist but I want to know how much were you actually taught about the female anatomy and sex when you were growing up at school and I also have a very very 
important question. Oh yeah, okay, I'm intrigued. What's the difference between a vagina and a vulva? And mm. when did you learn that? So let's go back to school first. Okay, so back to school. So I went to a really kind of like normal, comprehensive school in a really nice little village in the Midlands. It wasn't a very kind of like um, progressive school, but it wasn't like super old fashioned. And I remember being in the assembly hall one day and all the boys were taken out and the girls were kept in there and we were kind of like told about periods and I I remember this thing about like someone I can't remember who did the session but they were like talking about popping eggs that's that's one thing I really remember um anyway then I remember going away from that session thinking that a period was this egg cracking and the contents coming out of your vagina I can't (laughs) I can't that visual too much which is kind of like ridiculous considering that I talk to people about this kind of thing all day every day and that's why I never I never laugh at what people misunderstand and I hope that that sort of comes across because I never want people to think that I'm like rolling my eyes at people or thinking they're stupid because if you haven't had the right information uh, you know the right education how are you supposed to know I was kind of lucky because I never really had problems with periods I never really had any kind of like mega hormonal symptoms like beyond the average so it didn't really prompt me to think about it that much either your opening anecdote from your book is one that completely took the floor from under my feet would you mind relaying it Mm, sure so um the first chapter starts with a story of me meeting a lady in a and e and she's basically come in because um she's passed out in the shower because she's having a really heavy period and she's super anemic so she needed lots of um, blood transfusions and essentially I asked her about what her periods were normally like and she said well this is what my periods normally like you know it's normally super super heavy and so I said okay um, to quantify how much you know how much bleeding people are having we tend to ask them how many pads or tampons they would use and she looked at me and she's like oh I wouldn't use pads or tampons on the first day because it's too heavy so what I do is I fold up a a bath towel and sit on it um, at home so this woman didn't go to work basically for the first few days Um, and I was like oh my gosh and I sort of said to her you know how how long has it been like this because I was thinking oh she's got something really dreadful going on and she said oh 20 years oh it's just awful and I was like wow okay so I've got a pretty good poker face because I didn't want to look too shocked because I just didn't want this woman to feel like of she was course. being judged and, and, and feel silly but I just kind of like gently probed her and I sort of said you know why have you never um, seen a doctor about this before and she said well I thought it was normal uh, and this is basically a product of the fact that we don't talk about our periods so what your period is like to you would be a normal period if you've never spoken to anyone about it um, I mean, I have the benefit of basically, you know, talking about periods to, you know, hundreds of women <laughs> every month. And so I know exactly what periods are supposed to be like. But that's why we need to be having these conversations. But then the other thing is she was too embarrassed to go speak to her doctor. Oh, are you hopeful that the kind of shame uh, around this topic of conversation is getting less and less? Or do you think... Are you noticing a shift, basically, in the conversation? So I've noticed a shift on social media. But social media is the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because the kind of people who are on social media, well, especially the kind of people who are following me, are the people who want to have this conversation. They want to hear about it. I think it's amazing. And I love the fact that loads of other people have started talking about it. And it's been great, like, people kind of, like, tagging me in posts that they've done about the book because I want it to be something that is a way of people starting the conversation within their friendship group. But I don't, I'm not really seeing that shift in my patients and that's probably more representative of real life Mm. and I think probably in the younger generation it is happening slightly and it's amazing but there's still a lot of work to do and yeah I think that um, outside of the social media bubble it's it's slowly slowly happening I mean the fact that I only learned about to bring this back the difference between a vagina and a vulva about a year ago blows my mind blows my tiny little mind how have i gone for my entire life that's almost 30 years not knowing the difference between something that's pretty crucial it it got me here 
Well, it's because you've never been taught, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, I learned at medical school, I guess. I think that's probably the first time when I really thought about it. Can we have a so, definition? So, to be clear, yeah. the vagina is the tube inside. So, it's an elastic muscular tube. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's literally, like, from the, the cervix is the top of the vagina. And the vagina is that tube that goes all the way down and it opens onto the vulva. And so, the vulva is um, the area literally like between your legs um which includes your labia so labia majora are the fleshy um lips and the labia minora are the sort of like more pinkish lips and there is a uh, there is a picture in the book on there's page a, two there's a great <laughs> great diagram ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A great diagram. See, I oh, I was kind of in two is minds about the diagram is because it's a diagram because I kind of didn't I just feel like that that's a classic diagram that you would see in a textbook and I find it a bit scary for people. But it's helpful. But yeah, you have to you just have to get it out there. So I was like, oh guys, how, I, I remember when I wrote the draft, I put this like comment in the text and I said, can anyone think of a more clever way of of doing this? And everyone was like. No. I'd love to talk uh, briefly about the pill because um, I was on the pill for rather a long time. I came off it. I didn't get my period back for nearly two years. And I think this is quite common with the pill. Does this mean that the pill is something that we should be avoiding for con- as a contraceptive? Or is it just a matter of your body readjusting? I, I know that when the pill comes up in conversation with... I feel like amongst my group of friends, when the pill comes up a conversation, it's seen as something that we shouldn't mm. be on because mm. it feels unnatural. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite, I'm a bit of a hippie, so I'm kind of of that <laughs> belief as well. But as we all know, I'm not qualified in anything. Over to you, Anita. Okay, so from qualified doctor to qualified hippie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, um, okay, first of all, I have to say, hashtag not sponsored and hashtag not ad. I've never ever received any money not even a bloody pen from a pill company, just FYI. Um, So I do think that the pill is a really good form of contraception and I think it has been getting a lot of bad press. Um, And it may not be for you, but I am seeing a lot of people who get on really well with the pill who are being made to feel guilty for taking it by kind of things they're reading online and and social media. And people sharing their lives like me. Sorry, I don't mean to make anyone feel guilty if I ever have. Not my intention. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. I think everyone should be entitled to their opinions and, and that's great. And it's good for people to kind of like hear about other people's experiences. But if it's okay for you, then don't don't feel bad about it. Um, and so basically, it's as soon as you stop taking the pill, you can get pregnant. Okay. So what happens is that you will you, if so if you decide right today, that's it, me and the pill we're over, you stop taking it. Okay, and you'll have a period, you'll have that bleed that you normally would have in your pill free week. So you normally would start bleeding on three day three or four after you stop taking it because that's enough time for the hormones to sort of fall out of your system to start the bleeding and then you normally some people might still be bleeding the day they start taking their next one so it's not actually starting the new pack that stops your period so don't be worried about that because a lot of people like oh my god am I just going to bleed continuously so no you're not but on those those next few days so like day eight nine ten that's when you might ovulate right okay and so that's why actually lots of people um who i've met have got pregnant 
if they're, you know, people, sorry, not lots of people have got pregnant when taking the pill. <laughs> Rephrase, Mitra. <laughs> lots of people who have got pregnant on the pill have been like, I've never missed a day. But what can happen is if you forget to take that first pill in the pack, or you forget one right at the start, that's when you're more likely to be at risk of ovulating. Okay. And then accidentally get pregnant. So you might have had, like, accidentally had an eight-day break rather than a seven-day. So that's when you can ovulate so when you stop taking the pill if you stop regardless you know you you don't know whether your period's going to come you should treat yourself as at risk of pregnancy so you must use alternative contraception but some people will take a little bit of time to get their period back so the data suggests that about 50 percent of people should have started having periods within about three months for some people it will take longer um, and so then a lot of people are like, oh God, if my period's not coming back, does that mean the pills may be infertile? No. So the pill's out of your system, okay? But it very much depends on what's changed in your life since you started taking the pill. So this goes again back to that whole thing that I was talking about, about, you know, are you super stressed now? Because maybe you started taking the pill when you were like 17 or 18, um, and then maybe now you're like 27, 28. And in that time, you've finished uni, you've got a really stressful job, you've got a boyfriend who's a bit of a dick, you've got a mortgage, and, you know, all these little things are going on now. So your kind of, like, stress levels will have changed a bit. So I think that contributes quite a lot to why some people are not getting their period back after um, stopping the pill. But, you know, there's not really strong evidence to suggest a proper mechanism for why the pill might actually stop your you know periods from coming back for a long time they they do kind of like ramp down your ovaries a little bit but again the pill will be out of your system within a couple of days so it shouldn't really be having a super super long-term effect got you uh, i'd like to talk a little bit about the benefits of lifestyle change um for healthy vaginal microbiome mm. a microbiome is obviously a word that we associate with the gut and gut health but is it also very crucial for our vaginas and how do we achieve it yeah so you have healthy bacteria in your in your vagina and there's actually some evidence to suggest that it, uh, it kind of very originates from the gut so that's kind of one of the reasons why you know actually gut health can contribute to vaginal health now, so this is what my PhD was all about, actually. I studied the, the bacteria in the vagina. And so there's a particular kind of bacteria there called lactobacillus. Yes. And that's what sort of protects us and is healthy. And Is that in yogurt? Yeah, so you get it in yogurt. Um, and there's loads of different kinds of lactobacillus. Um, so what happens is that bacteria stops other bacteria from growing. So stops kind of like, I hate the phrase nasty bacteria, but it kind of, you know, you get this bacteria that if it's, if it's able to overgrow in the vagina, it can cause a lot of irritation and foul-smelling discharge um, and something called bacterial vaginosis. Um, and so bacterial vaginosis is associated with a higher risk of lots of different problems, such as um, you can be more likely to get an STI. Right. Um, more likely to get things like um, thrush as well. Um, and also higher risk in pregnancy for um, things like um, miscarriage and premature birth and then also what I studied was um, association with HPV which is the virus that causes cervical cancer so there are lots of reasons why we should want to have a healthy vagina um, and so I mean lots of people ask me should I take probiotics if you don't have problems, if you don't have, you know, recurrent thrush, recurrent bacterial vaginosis, there isn't really any evidence at the moment to suggest that that's helpful. But if you are someone who does get lots of bouts of thrush or bacterial vaginosis, actually probiotics could be useful, but you'd have to take them long term. Okay. So you wouldn't just take them for a, a short burst uh, and then stop them because you probably end up getting another recurrent bout again. Um, but yeah, there's just so much exciting evidence coming out these days about how the vaginal microbiome may actually contribute to um, health but there's lots of lifestyle factors that can affect the composition of the bacteria in the vagina so smoking is definitely one of them um, so lactobacillus doesn't like smoking okay. it's like oh my god i'm gonna get out of here and it just got it just can't handle it basically because the, the, the chemicals that are in cigarettes actually gets into your vaginal discharge Wow. Like people think I'm like crazy. So I talked about this um, on um, 
on the, the This Morning show on ITV the other week and all these people were like trolling me on Twitter being like, God, people will say anything to get on TV. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but the studies kind of speak for themselves. This is just science. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, that's something that can happen. And then I read a super interesting study the other day, actually, I'm going to do an Instagram post about it, about how stress um, can increase your chance of getting an STI, which is super interesting because... The mechanism, I think, is probably related to how stress can actually change the the bacteria that's there. So it's really interesting, and there's lots of I mean, there's lots of mechanistic work that needs to be done. And I'm sure, like the Daily Mail is probably now going to be like, right, that's it. Stress causes chlamydia and whatever. But you know, it, the, there are so many things that we do in our lives that can change our um, our bacteria. And there's actually a story about this in the book, in the vaginal discharge um, chapter of a patient who had a recurrent bacterial vaginosis and then she was a banker she smoked she like super stressed didn't really sleep very well and then she used to go to korea and just like chill out didn't smoke and her grandma made this like ancient soup which i tried to get the recipe for but she wouldn't give me and uh she said it's, she never got it then i want to thank you i want to thank you for your chapter on discharge it was absolutely fascinating and really refreshing to read and a bit of a screw you to Gwyneth Paltrow who, amongst other things, thinks that we should steam clean our vaginas and wear pairs of jade eggs uh, inside our vaginas. Um, oh, you're putting a pair in there, aren't you? I, I, is, it, is it just the one? I read I today know. it was a pair. Maybe, like, as you get more experienced, it's a pair. Uh, you can get a six-pack in there after a while. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Um, because our vaginas are self-cleaning, right? We don't yeah, need to be using absolutely. heavy soaps on them or anything like that. No, and it's actually the bacteria that helps clean the vagina because they make acid. So you know how you use like acid toners on your skin and it's like a gentle exfoliant? It's exactly the same. Uh, so they can help the, it helps the, um, the lining of the vagina to slough off and come away. Um, and yeah, so that's why we, we don't need to do anything. We just need to leave the bacteria there because actually lactobacillus is really kind of a bit weak. And uh, if you do anything to sort of, you know, if you wash or anything like that, loads of studies have shown that douching is the number one way of giving yourself bacterial vaginosis. And that's why we don't need any of these products as well that are coming on the market. And I feel like all these cosmetic companies are like totally jumping on the on the bandwagon when it comes to... Um, like all these natural washes and things like just because it's natural doesn't mean it's okay doesn't mean you need it literally all you need is a little bit of of water yeah it's crazy that that's that's all we need and I think maybe this is a good time to say like we this is I feel like this is overshare for this podcast this isn't something I talk about regularly but I think there's a lot of nerve nervousness we have as women around sex and around having a clean smelling vagina and vulva because we kind of have i mean i know i grew up with horror stories of boys saying that you know we smelt fishy or whatever oh, no. it was like it just haunts me that stuff and i think because of that we're like oh we need to have these like vaginas that smell like a, a floral forest or like maybe beer i don't know i've never smelt one that's like a floral forest but we shouldn't we need to let go of the shame right that we shouldn't feel like we need to smell a certain way and we shouldn't be maybe we should need we need to be work at being less conscious of that well i think also you know the kind of like the idea that we have is that if something smells it needs washing um but you know you okay you wash under your armpits you use soap whatever but you don't have any sweat glands in your vagina Okay, so it's not the same concept. It doesn't need washing in that way. And if you wash it, it will smell worse because you're washing away that good bacteria and the bad bacteria will overgrow because these kind of bad bacteria, they have these amazing mechanisms of like clinging onto the cells. Um, So this isn't just me being like um, whack now. This is actually like proper science. Um, So they are able to cling on and they make these things called biofilms. Um, so just kind of like put it in perspective, like tartar on your teeth is a biofilm basically. So you can get kind of the same thing in your vagina. Um, and so if the, yeah, if that lactobacillus isn't there, then you get overgrowth of this other bacteria. It makes biofilms and a wash is never going to get rid of it. What you actually need is the lactobacillus to come back and they have lots of different sort of chemicals that they make that helps to break down those biofilms and get rid of the bacteria. So... If you're washing because you think that you're irritated or you smell, stop doing it and it will go away. 
a mic drop moment, I think. I think we've just had one of those. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about ethical ethical period products. This is a switch that I've made. Um, I was so resistant for so long. I gave up so much plastic in my life and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this for my period because having a period is hard enough as it is. And why do I have to think about the planet when I have a period? And I thought, you know what, give it a go. So I have switched to menstrual cups and then I'm really into period pants as well. Um... There are so many amazing alternatives out there at the moment. What do you think uh, about the messaging around ethical period products and the kind of... Alternatives. Yeah, the alternatives. So, I mean, I'm a scientist, so I like to experiment. So I've tried all these things. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, And again, hashtag not sponsored. I've never been... I've never accepted a free... um, product or I've never done any sponsored posts on this kind of thing but Venetia did get me to try period pants so I saw her posting about them and hashtag I was, influence <laughs> so I text Venetia and I was like Venetia what size what size think should I get <laughs> um so anyway I tried them because I wanted to try something I just wanted to try something different and often um you know if I'm not having a, a very heavy period then sometimes I kind of like I mean, I I personally like tampons. I, I'm a big fan of them. Um, but, you know, when your period's not heavy enough to need to wear a tampon. Yeah. Um, so I want something in between, but I don't really like pads because I hate that, like, crunchy feeling. <laughs> so I thought, these period pads, give them a go. Love them. Yay! Really, really love them. Oh, good. Um, now, a lot of people have been messaging me, asking me, um, you know, are they safe? lots of people saying oh you know does it cause thrush and all this kind of thing well you know if you read kind of like the nhs guidelines about thrush and they say you know don't wear tight underwear so obviously period underwear is going to be a bit tighter because you want a nice seal around the edges um but you just have to try at the moment there's no studies for example to show that there's any difference between using reusable or um, disposable pads or anything like that so you know i think I would just tell people use what what you like. Now, when it comes to tampons, there's loads of sort of stuff out there and a lot of very like persuasive stuff written online saying that they cause cancer, they cause endometriosis. Um, Now, I'm obviously not not the hippie in the room here. (laughs) Um, No, honestly, I'm not really that well read when it comes to the environment. So I can't talk about sort of the the ethical side of tampons. Um, But... There isn't any evidence to show that using an organic tampon over a conventional tampon is any safer. Right. Okay. So lots of people... From a health perspective. Exactly. From a health perspective. Um, Lots of people are super, super worried about toxic shock syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is something that... um, So I've been a doctor now um, since 2011. So that's like eight years. I've never, ever seen toxic shock syndrome before. Wow. Okay. So... It's, but those leaflets, yeah, all of those leaflets. It's super rare. So there's about 40 cases of toxic shock syndrome in the UK every year. And most of my friends and colleagues have probably never seen it either. Um, and it's not from any kind of like toxins in a tampon. It's from bacteria, a bacteria called Staphylococcus aureus that makes these these toxins. Uh, and so it doesn't matter whether it's a normal tampon or a organic tampon, you can still get this kind of toxic shock syndrome but you know obviously super super rare so then other people have been asking me what about menstrual cups okay so again there's no evidence to show that they're actually safer so when it comes to the history of menstrual cups and tampons obviously we've been using tampons for like decades and menstrual cups are relatively um relatively new so we haven't got as much data but you know I have read a study, it's a case report, but there has been a case of somebody who has had toxic shock syndrome using a menstrual cup. So there's no evidence that they're safer. So again, it's kind of what you prefer. And we were kind of talking before we started recording this about about menstrual cups, um, because they are sort of super popular these days. And I think a lot of people are um, really intrigued by them. And so... I tried one. I loved it. And then I kind of went off it for a while. Right. Um, I don't know. I really don't know why or what it was. Um, but I think that 
I've read a lot of like quite persuasive stuff online and I feel like almost people are being guilted into using certain kinds of menstrual hygiene products these days mm. and particularly when it comes to moon cups. Now, I've I don't have I don't have any kind of gynecological problems. I I don't have really dreadful periods and I definitely don't have anything like endometriosis or anything like that, but sometimes I do find the menstrual cup quite uncomfortable to wear. Right. Um, but some days I don't. So it's not like I've got the wrong size or anything like that. But I think for a lot of people, it can be super, super uncomfortable. And it's not actually that small. So yeah. you have to be quite cool with like putting your fingers into your vagina. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable when you take it out. And so I think there's definitely certain groups who just would really struggle with menstrual cups. Um, and so people, for example, with endometriosis, I really would be surprised if many people with you know sort of moderate severe endometriosis would be able to use a menstrual cup because what happens when you have endometriosis so that's when the lining of the womb grows outside the um the the womb is you can get sort of scarring and inflammation in the pelvis and and you can get something called a frozen pelvis so that's where all the organs get a bit stuck together and so if you're having if you're somebody who for example gets a lot of pain when you have sex then you're probably going to struggle with a menstrual cup and i'm absolutely not saying don't try it if you have endometriosis and you want to i'm not saying that at all but i just want to say don't feel bad yeah. if you you can't handle it yeah um and then also people with vaginismus so this is where you get sort of like a tightening of the um vaginal muscles uh, and lots of people find that they struggle to have sex they can't use tampons um they find it really uncomfortable when they come to see us for a vaginal examination that's also another group of people who I think would really struggle. And, and I think that the number of people with vaginismus is quite underreported. Um, and, and so I just, yeah, I just really want to get the message out there that like, I think that there's no, there's no glaringly obvious superior product when it comes to, to a health perspective. Yeah. And so I just really don't want anyone to feel guilty. Yeah. Uh, and it is kind of like a supremacy almost with these um, like menstrual hygiene products. I think honestly, if it wasn't for the ethical side of it, I would have given up on it because, mm. oh my God, Anita, I struggled. I couldn't get it out the first time I put it in. And I did a YouTube video on this, if anyone's, if anyone's interested. Um, I couldn't get it out for about six hours and I freaked out. But yeah, so if it didn't, if That's I didn't have... scary, isn't it? It was, it was really scary. I was, I thought I was going to have to go to A&E and then yeah. I was like, oh my God, someone's going to have to pull a cup out of me. This is so embarrassing. Uh, but luckily, a million other people on YouTube have had the same experience and have made YouTube videos yeah. about it. The best thing about the internet. But yeah, I think if I didn't have the ethical side of it, I would have given up on it. But, you know, I think it's just about trying these things out, right? And definitely. seeing what's right for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, my top tip with a menstrual cup um if it's your first time take it out in the shower um because it's yeah i don't know i just i just found that that was a safe yeah. way of doing it. you're not going to drop it down the toilet and also um it is quite useful to kind of like squat down and get it out that way yeah it, it's it's a bit easier that way so uh yeah i almost have to pretend that i'm doing a number two to get yeah, it out that's a good way though and don't put it up too far I mean, it will get sucked up. Um, so what it does is it kind of creates a vacuum and it sucks itself up um, kind of around the cervix. Um, so the idea is all about breaking the vacuum. So you kind of need to like, you do need to put like two, you, your thumb and then either one or two fingers inside and then squeeze it together. Like you're pinch kind of, it. yeah, pinch it. Um, rather than just yanking the stem, which is what I did the first time when I thought my insides were going to come out. Yeah. But, really not anti-menstrual cups now that we're telling these stories but you know just don't um yeah don't feel bad if you struggle with them um but you know persistence is key yeah now i've got the hang of it i'm absolutely obsessed um i'd like to to start to wrap up because i know we're short of time what are your three kitchen essentials these are three ingredients that knowing you have them in your kitchen make you feel more relaxed about life Oh, okay. Uh, definitely need um, demerara sugar. So I put sugar in my coffee and I used to be ashamed to say that because I think everyone's like, oh my God, you're a doctor, you can't have sugar. But no, I have sugar in my coffee. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then the other thing, cinnamon, definitely love cinnamon. Um, and frozen peas. Oh, I put them in everything. God, they are, they are my crack. Are you ready for a quick fire? Yeah. Quick fire with Anita. Breakfast, lunch or dinner? Breakfast. Plain porridge or porridge with granola? Well, clearly it's porridge with granola now. (laughs) 
coffee with milk or coffee with sugar? Can I have both? No. Okay, I can forego the sugar, but I have to have milk. Marmite on toast or avocado on toast? Avocado on toast. Waffles or pancakes? Ooh, pancakes. Good morning TV or working in the night shifts? I love working night shifts. Summer or winter? <laughs> Summer. UK or Greece? Oh, Greece. Writing or learning? Learning. Pizza or pasta? Pasta. Cookies or cake? Oh, cookies. Chocolate or nut butter? Nut butter. Talking or taste buds? Talking. Very, very good. What feeds your soul? This is something that's not food related that makes your soul feel uplifted. Oh, just just seeing my friends and family and just kind of like spending time with the people I really care about. I love that. And finally, what is your death row dinner, starter main and dessert? (sighs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so starter is going to be like um, some kind of like Greek mezze type thing with like, you know, tzatziki and olives and all that kind of thing. Having that as the starter at my wedding. Are you? With Mr. Geinigate. Oh, main course is going to be a roast dinner and my mum's going to make me her epic Yorkshire's. Um, And then dessert is going to be a lemon cheesecake. Um, And the base is going to be made of hobnobs. Oh my gosh, this sounds incredible. I would like to come to your death row dinner. Uh, Anita, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. You are a queen. No problem. And now I'm going to look after Venetia in my spa for busy ladies. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please share on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia Falconer using the hashtag Talking Taste Buds. If you have time, you could leave me a five-star review on iTunes. That makes the world of difference. And make sure you hit the show notes for links to my brilliant guests. I will see you for a brand new episode next week. Until then, have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 